we're in this series that I have titled, Do Your Job. This series, in essence, is a study in the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. The structure of the book is naturally suited for encouraging men and women in the body of Christ to do their job. Not in a critical, condemning kind of way, but in a, in a loving, encouraging kind of way. Each person who has invited Christ into their life needs to do their job as part of the body of Christ. Just like your physical body functions under the command of the head, the spiritual body ought to knitly neatly and knitted together, fit in place to do its to do its job. I want to preach today then from the subject No Excuses. The, the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters, give us the why we ought to do our job, and the last three chapters give us the how we ought to do our job. In this why section, we start off by seeing that there are no excuses that any of us can muster up as to why we can't do our job. The church is the body of Christ, And God desires that each member of the body do its job. In our text, we discover why every member of the body of Christ, the church, has no excuses for not doing his or her job because God has blessed us, God has chosen us, and God has adopted us. Let's look then at the text. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. The first thing then that I want you to notice is that God has blessed us. He has blessed us. Not not you're going to be blessed. Not you might be blessed. God has blessed us. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, the Bible says, who has blessed us in Christ. This terminology, who has blessed us in Christ, this phrase, Uh, is a reminder that this is a restoration of humanity to the condition of existence 
before sin entered in the world. We're in a blessed state in Christ, and he restores us to the condition before sin entered into the world. We discover that condition in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. Scripture says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Then the very first sentence in verse 28 says, and God blessed them. Humanity blessed, not because of what they do, but because of who, who we are, blessed. We are children of the most high God made in the image of a holy God, in the likeness of a holy God. That's who we are. Now, unfortunately, sin entered the world and there was a lie from Satan. The lie from Satan is not that you are blessed, but he, he paints a different picture of God and a different picture of humanity. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, Satan says, and here's his lie, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan makes this statement because God has placed the creature that he made in his own image in a garden to work it and to till it. Right smack in the middle of that garden, there was a tree of prohibition. We don't know what kind of tree it was. Uh, we don't know what kind of fruit it bore. We do know that it was a, a tree that bore fruit that could be eaten. God said, this tree, don't eat it. It's standing right in front of you. All these other trees, choose them. You can eat freely, but not this tree. I want you to see, God was not threatening God's godness to give the very creature that God made in God's image the opportunity to disobey him. Didn't hide the tree from his presence. Didn't put it in some faraway corner. He put it right smack in the middle of the garden so that humanity could exercise humanity's choice to obey God or to disobey God. Wasn't forced into anything. Satan comes. Now, I want you to watch the characteristic of his lie. He said, God does not want you to have this because God doesn't want you to know this because God doesn't want you to ultimately be something. Now, they were blessed intrinsically in who they were. The lie from Satan is in order for you to be somebody, in order for you to know something, you need to grasp for something outside of you to define who you are and to make yourself really be somebody. And since... That initial lie from Satan, many men and women of faith have been reaching outside of who they have been created to be, grasping for power, grasping for position, grasping for prestige to define themselves as really, truly being somebody, being in Christ restores us to the state of existence of humanity before the fall, where we don't have to look outside ourselves and who God created us to be, to really truly be and feel like somebody. 
This whole concept has been echoed all throughout Scripture. For example, we see it in the very first Psalm. God says in verse 1, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in the law does he meditate day and night. Now, verse 1, he says, blessed in the man, but it's not till verse 3 that we get a description of what a blessed person is like. The Bible says he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. What does the blessed person look like? First of all, he's sovereignly picked. You've never seen a tree that does not specialize. And he says, when you start celebrating who God made you to be, you are recognized that you've been sovereignly picked by God to be who you are. Now watch this. Every tree that God has made specializes. A fruit tree specializes in fruit. Whether it's an apple tree, orange tree, pineapple tree, a fruit tree specializes in producing one kind of fruit. Pine tree specializes in producing pine needles. Maple tree specializes in producing sap from which we can get maple syrup. Every tree specializes. God made all of us originals, but too many of us die carbon copies trying to be like somebody else to find validation in who we are. Second thing he says, you're strategically placed, planted by the streams of water. You are where you are right now, not by accident, but by providence and God's choice. Certainly God who's sovereign, who could do what he wants to, when he wants to, where he wants to, how he wants to, because he wants to, could have had you or at some different point in history on the scene, but he chose to have you here right now. You are strategically placed, and when you wake up and discover that you can be yourself with God working in you because he made you in his image, you're truly somebody. The Bible says also, you'll be seasonally productive. It yields its fruit in its season. And then it says you'll be successfully prosperous in all that he does, he prospers. Well, if you're going to be seasonally productive, that means there's no need to ever take a permanent solution to a temporary problem because fruit is not born in every season, but as long as it stays <laughs> sovereign like a tree, as long as it stays strategically placed, when its season for fruit-bearing time comes, it will bear fruit. Beloved, you ought to just celebrate who God made you to be. Can I share something with you? The reason God made you is because that's what he wanted. Certainly, if he wanted something else, he would have made something else. But since he made you, you might as well be the best you that you could possibly be, recognizing that you've been sovereignly picked, strategically placed, seasonally productive, and successfully prosperous. Let me also share this with you. You've never seen a tree eat its own fruit, nor have you ever seen a tree bask in its own shade. 
the fruit and the overflow of the tree is not for the tree itself, but so that others may be blessed by the tree. Tree has no say-so. Whether saved person or unsaved person eats from it. Your life is designed to be a blessing to everybody. A blessing to the body of Christ as you do your job. A blessing to those that don't know Christ because when they receive the overflow of blessings in them, they have a desire to want to be like you. Jesus comes on the scene in the New Testament and he shares with us the exact same thing as a as the nature of humanity. You see, oftentimes we think that we become somebody when we come to Christ. In essence, we're somebody because when God made man in his own likeness and in his own image, he blessed them. And God's mind has not changed concerning the nature of humanity. Jesus, to help us understand this, told the parable in Luke chapter 15. We have the parable of the lost sheep. We have the parable of the lost coin. We have the parable of the lost son. In each of these cases, each one is lost. In Luke 15, verse 4, we see the, the summation of the lost sheep. Jesus says, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has not lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? This is a question that assumes an affirmative answer. Yes, of course we would do that. How did the sheep get lost? Sheep's fault. He wandered off straight away from the rest of the sheep. Shepherd didn't necessarily lose the sheep. It was a sheep's fault. A sheep wandered off. But what does a shepherd do? First of all, he took inventory. He knew he had 100 sheep. He counted 99. And 99 wasn't good enough. He went after the one that was lost. In verse 8, we see the summation of the lost coin. He says, what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? Well, how did the coin get lost? The coin didn't lose itself. The coin was lost because of someone's poor stewardship. Yet at the same time, it was lost. And she recognizing it, lights a lamp and sweeps the whole house, diligently seeking for the lost coin. Then in Luke 15, 17, talks about the lost son. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish with hunger? Again, the saw the son left on his own accord. Nobody forced him out. Nobody went out after him. He had to come to himself. There are two things I want us to see here in these three illustrations. The first is, is that the response to, to lostness is different in each case. And that's where you and I need discernment when we deal with the men and women in the body of Christ whom we might characterize as being lost. We need to know when we need to proactively go after him like the shepherd 
for the lost sheep. We need to know when we need to search diligently because of poor stewardship of grace to go after a person like the woman with the lost coin. And we need to know when we need to allow a person the space to come to themselves to be restored. That's the first thing I want you to see. So you need to pray for wisdom that you'd have the right response in the right situation when dealing with another human being and their, quote, loss, unquote, state. But more importantly, this is what I want you to see, and I want you to see it in the illustration. The sheep had just as much value as a sheep when it was lost. The coin did not lose any value when it was lost. And the son did not lose value as a son simply because he had not come to himself. What's the point? The point is your condition of existence is never your definition nor does it diminish your value as a human being? Because God has made you in his image, there's no excuse for not doing your job because you, beloved, are blessed and have value as a person. And God wants you on his team to make a significant difference right where you are. The next thing I want you to notice in the book of Ephesians is that God has chosen us. He's chosen us. Ephesians chapter one, verse four says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. He chose us, ex lexoxeta. It's in the, the middle voice, which means that the subject acts for the benefit of himself. God chose us for himself among all other choices that he could have made. He chose us. He, he chose us. And the Bible says before the foundation of the world. As I think about that, it's mind-boggling, particularly when I get my arms around the fact that he did it before the foundation of the world. Imagine if you would that you were living in a different period of history. You were going to be the mother or the father, depending upon your gender, of Adolf Hitler. If you had insight, knowing that the child that you sired, the child that you're about to give birth to, was going to do all of the heinous things that Adolf Hitler did, 
would you for a moment consider perhaps aborting the child? You don't have to get extremely holy or scientific. It's just really hypothetical. The reason I bring it up is because in spite of everything that God knew about us, the choices we would make, the decisions that we would follow, how we would sometimes even lie to his face, tell him that we would do something knowing that we would not do it. In spite of all of that, he chose us. (laughs) That's enough when you realize it to make you want to do your job because he didn't have to choose you. But he did. Last thing I want us to see is that God has adopted us. He's adopted us. The Bible says he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. This word adoption means to formally and legally declare that from now on, we're to be treated and cared for as God's own child. That this, according to Romans 8.17, makes us an heir of God and a fellow heir with Christ Jesus. He's adopted us. He has formally and legally declared that we are his children. He chose us, then he adopted us to be his sons. Now, with an adoption, as an heir of God, as a joint heir of Jesus Christ, that means that all that God has for Jesus, he has for you and me, we share and share alike. This adoption, making us a part of his family, is so overwhelmingly good. How good is it? Well, the Bible says that one day that very angels in heaven will be confused. They've been with Jesus from the time that he stepped out of deity into the dimension of time and then back into eternity. They've seen Jesus. They've seen his love for humanity by giving his life ultimately on the cross of Calvary. And yet one day, because we've been adopted in, they will become confused. Why? Because as they look to see Jesus and they look to see us in our glorified state, they'll wonder who's who. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, we're already God's children but he has not shown us what we will be like. But when Christ appears, we know that we will be like him, just like him. Our adoption will be made complete because we will look just like Jesus Christ. Beloved, you ought to be able to do your job knowing that you've been blessed by God, you've been chosen by God, 
and you have been adopted into God's family. There's nothing else left for you to do but to start doing your job, knowing what your gift is, exercising that gift with divine responsibility, with divine authority, backing your spiritual responsibility. And then by the same token too, if you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, you can do that today. It's just as simple as coming as you are. Hearing the Spirit call your voice. The Bible says, and the day you hear his voice, don't harden your heart, but come. Come and see. Come receive. Life everlasting. Hope for today. Give your life to Jesus. It'll be the greatest decision you've ever made.